Shut up, I love it. Order up! Order up! Who ordered the bags? Shut up! I love it. What's up, everybody? This is Joe Cabello. I'm here with... Sasha Feiler. And welcome to Shut Up, I Love It, where we invite a special guest to talk about something underrated, underappreciated, underwatched, underseen, underheard, anything under into the, in the world. And joining us today, she is an artist, an educator, a yoga teacher. She's all these wonderful things. Let's welcome Leah Villanueva. Mm. Did I get all the names right? <laughs> yes, it was. I'm, honestly, you said it better than some other Filipinos I know. So yes, very nice. <laughs> Leah, welcome to the podcast. So nice having you here. Thank you both for having me. Our Leah, pleasure. Just tell us right away, because I know you're so excited to talk about this. So let's get to this. What are you here to talk about? Yeah, so I'm here to share the good news about this awesome show called Midnight Diner. Um, technically, either Midnight Diner Tokyo Stories or just Midnight Diner. All right. Very cool. And um, where can people find this show now? Yeah, it's on Netflix. Um, I don't know where it was before that, but I got introduced to the show via Netflix. Cool. So uh, after or even before this conversation, people can easily go check it out on the Netflix. Very cool. And can you give everybody kind of a brief uh, description of what that what the show is all about? Yeah, it's honestly just the story of a a guy in Tokyo who owns a, a small diner, like you know, eight seater, eight to ten seater, um, and the random characters who enter his diner. So it's called Midnight Diner because he's only open from midnight to 7 a.m. So he gets, you know, the late night crew. And it's a mix of stories of his regulars and then other people who just sort of find his diner, you know, by fate or chance. So it is an anthology uh, show in some way because there's separate story per each episode, although some characters are recurring, even secondary characters, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Uh, yeah, that's exactly it. Like there's, it's funny because um. I actually started watching the show when I had my wisdom teeth removed and mm. I just couldn't leave the house, right? And so I was like, what can I play that's soothing um, but still entertaining? So nothing that's going to, like, shock my senses too much, I guess. Um, and I, my husband and I got totally addicted to this. And like Sasha, you were saying, there's a cast of maybe, like, five to six recurring secondary characters that you get to know because um, their personalities are more or less the same, yeah. And then every episode highlights either one of their stories or a new guest to the diner, um, some poignant memory of their life. That must have in some ways been torture for your wisdom teeth <laughs> yes. because the food. <coughs> the food. The food, you guys. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if this is a, it's not, it's really more story than food shows, certainly, but it does service food mm -hmm. well enough to really make you hungry. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was... Definitely just eating, like, jello, if anything, oh, yeah. um, while watching these. But, yeah, so I feel kind of silly. I forgot to mention. But, yeah, it's Midnight Diner, and every episode focuses on, like, a memory or some um, significant life event or takeaway that the individual had. And typically that memory is stirred up in relation to food. So what's special about this diner beyond its... Um, late night hours is the owner will make anything that the patrons want granted he has the ingredients so sometimes people will come with like a baggie of food and ask him to fix a dish or they'll just request something and if he has it he'll put it together for them and it's you know it'll be stories like oh my mom used to make this or i remember when you know i was a kid and i ate this with my brother you know a lot of, of uh, my an old lover loved this dish there's a lot <laughs> of that that goes yes. on a lot of nostalgia. It. Nostalgia definitely comes up as a theme for each of the three episodes, at least, that we've watched, Joe and I. Um, I think it is an interesting show in the sense that it does combine sort of storytelling with elements of a cooking show. Because, I mean, there's certain, there's certain parts that are definitely, like, speak up to, like, we're shooting this hot pan with clams <laughs> steaming in them or something. And... 
and there's almost like a little bit of a recipe, but it's in the poetic way delivered in connection to um, a character going through something and their emotionality, would you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, why... Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, go ahead, Sasha. No, I was just going to say, so interesting, it's on Netflix, right? Netflix obviously is a strange place where you can become you know the show can become super popular or can get lost forever and no one will ever see it um why is this show a good topic for shut up i love it gotcha um i feel like it's just so underrated or like unknown and i feel that even though the stories um and the characters are all japanese right it's all very tokyo centric um the themes and the challenges and the struggles they go through are very universal, as cliche as that sounds. But I found myself being really endeared to the characters. And then, like you were saying, um, they incorporate food. Who doesn't love food? Yeah, right. Seriously. So it's, yeah, so it's like this undercover, underground gem of just really endearing, heartwarming stories of humanity at its core, wrapped up with, oh, I get to learn an awesome new Japanese dish, you know? Mm-hmm. So... What do you think is the reason why the show is not as popular as you would like it to see? I don't know. I I, I think maybe because it is all um, it's all subtitles, right? So you're going to have some people who naturally just don't want to read, I guess, while they're watching something. So maybe the language barrier. And also, like I said, I was first introduced to the show when I honestly couldn't leave the couch. And I think the intro for some can be very... Um, morose or moribund if i'm using the right word it's very salt it's very somber um because they use a very chill japanese song so it's like if you work your way past the intro (laughs) which the intro's it's it's fun because everything you explained about the show five minutes ago or whatever is also Uh every episode explains that all um because i I had watched I had watched it with uh, my girlfriend's parents who were like, oh, you oh, have wow. to watch this show. And they explained all of that. But then we sat down to watch it. And then the show explained all of it. And I didn't mind that, actually. <laughs> I was like, okay, this this is actually cool. Because you could start at any episode mm-hmm. and know exactly what the show's about and what it's doing. Uh, but, yeah, the yeah. intro is kind of uh, uh, soothing. But also, yeah, it's, it's not getting you pumped up for the show. <laughs> exactly. It's like... I don't know. It's um, I don't. I can try and think of the word for it, but yeah, it's like once you make it past the intro, you get into it. And like, oh, okay, cool. It's sort of this um, almost like this subtle. This there's a there's a subtlety to it, right? Um, there's mm-hmm. certain yeah. subtlety to the tone, but there's certain heavy-handedness to the character relationships. I think a lot of time. Yeah, a lot of times. That's when, a really good know, way to put it. Yeah, like because there's certain. Things that makes you think like soap opera-ish or like, whoa, whoa, oh, whoa, that would have never happened. Or like, it's it's very twisty in this like very melodramatic way often. And mm-hmm. it's reinforced by the character's monologues. Yes. And the music and everything. <laughs> but yeah, it, it kind of, that intro sets you up for that feeling of like, you don't go to a midnight to 7 a.m. diner because you're happy a lot of the time. <laughs> like, it's like... There is a sadness mm-hmm. to like that, as well as like all the good things that come of it. But there is something uh, tragic about the Midnight Crew. Um, but quickly yeah. before, oh, go ahead. Were oh no, gonna? I was just gonna say when you said that, that really kind of struck something. Where it's like, oftentimes these characters, when you get to know them outside of the diner, they do live kind of you know somber um, solo lives, and because they are all people who live a certain lifestyle. Honestly, this Midnight Diner is sort of like their family or like their community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you definitely get a sense of that. As a person who worked for years in my graduate school as an, uh, like a bartender at an after, illegal, illegally after hours place in Soho in New York, I am convinced that the show was inspired, and I don't know if it was, <laughs> but I'm convinced it was inspired by real, somebody's real experience. Because when you work at an after-hours place, and this place seems like it's legally open after hours, but, like, the one that I worked in, like, as soon as, I guess, like, I can't remember, it was 2 or 4 a.m. was the cutoff in New York. I think it was 2 a.m. 
but like the weirdest people start coming in like two o'clock is like when the crew comes mm-hmm. in <laughs> and just like weirdest shit like oh there's just all bets are off um you will see people doing drugs. You will see people bringing in uh, sex workers. <laughs> you will see people. Uh, you will see cops coming in, checking in, making sure things okay. Maybe arresting people once in a while. While during the day, it's like a nice Italian restaurant. But like the moment this like midnight strikes or whatever that time is, the cutoff, shit starts going down. And then you see those characters and these people. They are like the vampires who are attracted to this place of worship like to Mm -hmm. to talk about you know they're like they're which probably are lonely lives during the day and uh, probably induced with a lot of trauma of some sort but this is where they connect and they find their may I say kazoku since I'm learning Mm -hmm. Japanese aka the family so (laughs) I'm just starting to drop Japanese words thank (laughs) you so it is interesting, but I think I, I think it's important to also mention before we get into the episodes that the another reason why I at least suspect this show might have people turn <coughs> away from it is because it's very low production quality. Like I don't know what it was <laughs> shot on, but it looks well, like video. Let, let me <laughs> say ahead. to the um, <laughs> I think I watched a, a Tokyo Stories episode first, mm-hmm. and then watched uh, the Midnight Diner. So for people listening, the first I think four seasons are Midnight uh, or Midnight Diner, and then Midnight Diner Tokyo Stories is separate, but it's as if it's the seasons after that. So if you're on Netflix, keep that order in line. But uh, the it's like a, they did a shot for shot remake of the intro for mm-hmm. the Netflix one, but it looks much better. And I was like tripping right. out, like, wait, what's going on? Because it's very I close. Missed I missed that. I, I don't know why I missed that. I should have seen that. Yeah. Yeah, it looks it's the same shots, but a different camera. You could tell the production <laughs> value overall got better for the uh, Netflix one, which is yeah. kind of fun. But uh, I didn't mind the look. I thought it's. Uh, there are even the ri- original one, but it, it does definitely look a little like um, classic. Well, or it, is, it is interesting because I, I actually have the very special relationship with that look, like in the sense that I think on one hand, it is a turnoff for people to be like, what am I watching? Like the sound and, uh, and video are not good. On the other hand, it makes it as real as possible. Like you feel like you were, I don't know why, but because it had such little cinematic quality, it made me feel more immersed in the world. And this is the closest I felt like being in Japan, aside from being when I was in Japan. So this mm-hmm. was like, it definitely had like a very immersive quality for some reason, that low production. I don't know why. Like, especially when they go to like a club or something, there's music playing. Yeah. I'm like, I can to- <laughs> like this, the acoustics is as bad as it would be in there. Like... It, it looks like reality. It's basically a reality <laughs> TV production put to narrative. Yes. Uh, I, I love I love the club scenes because it's obviously just like seven Four people that they're putting. Assistance. Yeah. Yeah, just moving around. <laughs> I love it. Um, but safe to say, before we move on to talking too in depth about it, uh, Sasha, did you know anything about it before I did this not. episode? Leah introduced me to it, so that was my that was a gift from Leah. I haven't seen it before. What about you? Yeah, same. Uh, I just heard like little sprinklings of like my girlfriend's parents saying you should watch it, but I would have probably even forgot the name. Wait, so they have was, seen it before? They have Bef- seen it, yeah. And what do they think? They re- they wanted me to watch it. They didn't wow. know anything about the podcast, and then I was like, oh, I have to watch some for the podcast anyway. Let's watch it. And they were just like rewatching the episodes they've already seen. Um, I, they hadn't seen all of them. Yeah, yeah. And the, here's the thing, because I think as far as it, like, not blossoming out and, like, being a big hit, I think it is, like, the subtitle issue that's just always hard to get people on board with for whatever reason. And uh, they actually uh, lived in France. They moved from uh, the United States to France. So, like, subtitle movies and things like that is just something they've always done. So it's kind of interesting mm-hmm. to see their, like, they gave it a shot. My parents won't watch anything that's not Spanish subtitles, but that's just because mm-hmm. they love anything with uh, Mexican gangsters. So <laughs> I think that's it. <laughs> I, as a person who watches everything with subtitles in any language, including English, Russian, and any other language, I welcome subtitles. Like they make me feel safe and like I'm not missing anything. So mm-hmm. this was, in that sense, it was definitely perfect for me. 
I'm yeah, curious. We're a subtitled household too. You are subtitled as well. Mm-hmm. How about your? Are, are you um, typically adventurous when it comes to shows and movies you watch? Are you watching a lot of international stuff? Yeah, I found it's. Yeah, for sure. I feel like I use Netflix um, honestly to explore the international offerings, and mm-hmm. I think um, I know like K-pop and you know all that stuff has been popular. And I want to say a few years back, I was like, let me watch some of these K-dramas, because I feel like I'm hearing about them, but I don't get it. Mm-hmm. And they're ridiculous, but I get it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I watched, is it, what, Flowers Over Boys or Boys Over Flowers? Yeah, Boys Over Flowers mm-hmm. was one. And then there's, like, Meteor Garden. Um, I think it's Korean and Chinese, respectively. Um, but yeah, like, I wouldn't have seen that if not for Netflix. And then now Midnight Diner. So. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, well, I think maybe since we, I guess, watered everybody's senses about... I'm going to use all this. Watered word. their senses. <laughs> watered I don't think senses. I've ever heard that one, but you I know like that expression? it. Watered their senses about the characters and all these like, stories that are happening here. Why don't we move on to the individual episodes? And we watched three. Yeah, I'm curious as to why you chose these as well, because mm-hmm. the, the curation is always interesting to find out. So, uh, yeah, let's get into it. Um, Shall we start with Season 1's Episode 9, Grilled Mackerel? Yes. Leah, would you tell us a short setup or it's just a sentence too long about this episode? Sure. So, this episode is... Um, part of before netflix took over production yeah so it's like the old school um production quality and basically an older but you could tell she's very like regal almost like with how she carries herself so she's she's graceful um an older woman comes to the diner and or, at the and diner to interrupt meets, or as they call her an old woman uh, like they're literally the master the guy <laughs> the chef yeah. literally says this elegant old woman <laughs> like yes, he, he just said it right out. Not older, but yes. I'm like, yes. So she's she's old. You know, they call her an old woman. Um, she's at the diner by herself, and then a young woman comes in who's one of the regulars. Her name's Marilyn, and she's a dancer, um, an adult dancer. And these two women actually hit it off, right? They just they end up going to a club together after. And then um, I think one of Marilyn's boyfriends or like her suitors, whoever goes to the diner and basically, you know, humiliates her, disrespects her in front of everyone um, for being, you know, for doing what she does. And to everyone's surprise, the old woman comes out with like, yeah, I'm a former, you know, adult entertainer myself. And they use the words stripper there. So yeah, there's that too. Mm-hmm. Which, the, yeah. yeah, the stripping scenes are, are with the the price of admission alone very interesting <laughs> scenes yes go on but, Leah. yeah no so um that was that episode and then eventually the old woman um she goes back to the province because she was born and raised in tokyo but then she moved out to you know mm. the countryside essentially um to raise her family yeah so the it's almost like this random chance of meeting in this place in the diner results in the young woman learning from the sensei, um, this mm-hmm. lady who turns out to be like a famous, because recognized by these sleazy <laughs> recurring yeah. characters <laughs> at, the, at the bar that, uh, that in the diner that recognize her and they like worship her and there's a certain mix of like, you know, lust, but also admiration towards her legacy. And mm-hmm. so the sensei, uh, the lady named Yachio, Yachio-san teaches Marilyn about, I think, I think wasn't, didn't she teach her about a certain move? Like a certain- I think she, yeah, I think that- <laughs> Yeah, so Yachio-san, I, the, what I took from the, and why I picked this episode was, I appreciated mm-hmm. the different generations, right? Um, and it was interesting to me to see their bond, like their genuine connection, but also just almost this um, like nonchalance, like this nonchalant attitude with how they're talking about, oh yeah, she's a stripper, like they're strippers. And it, mm-hmm. at least for me, it felt very like, oh, that's interesting. Cause I wouldn't think that in Japan, one on a Netflix show like this. Yeah. And like in Japan, mm-hmm. they would just be so like, oh yeah, she's a stripper. And I go to her shows and like you were saying, like there's this admiration, reverence, but also it's like you are 
essentially like of course they're getting their kicks off going to these shows right Mm -hmm. so i like that and um yeah the whole thing with the butterfly like the signature move um it parallels into the recipe that they highlight which is like butterfly and the fish the mackerel yeah very suggestive very suggestive and can i just ask this is my naivete is she completely naked in that show or not because the camera is hiding her bottom but i wonder is it g-string situation or mm. are we are we expecting the salary man gathering there <laughs> watching the whole thing well you know when when you're doing the butterfly it doesn't matter it, it doesn't matter it all right really there. it really comes out uh, yeah, but yeah this point. was this was an interesting episode to kind of like lead into and, and start with in the series, even though technically I did um, a later episode first, mm-hmm. um, because it just like sets a tone of, oh, we're going to go there. You know, this isn't just whatever stories like we're going to tell stories about like two generational strippers. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. OK, that says a lot. <laughs> When that's an early episode, you see. Although I think I've seen the first episode, and Marilyn's in it, and I think there is a uh, a reference to her being a stripper, or maybe that's part of the episode. Um, uh, but just to its credit of just, like, right from the get-go, mm-hmm. this is what we're about. Yeah, it is interesting, because I think watching, and we'll talk about other episodes as well, but watching just three episodes of the show makes you think, like, if you don't know anything about Japan... You watch it and you'll be like, people just talk like the, the subculture of um, exotic dancers and people who are obsessed with them is very present, which I don't know if it is. But I remember working in that after hour place in New York and just spending enough time around more marginal people <laughs> than one usually encounters in everyday life. You start seeing the world with their eyes because you just start not caring if people selling cocaine in front of you or they do talk about sexual um, transactions or things like that that are just more sort of like minor minor criminal offenses but they are very common in this particular particular family that comes to this place so it definitely like made me think just watching be like whoa like all these men except for the master the chef they're all obsessed with exotic dancers like all these men are obsessed with them and there's like women who are just like you know uh, worshipped for for that um, Mm -hmm. craft that they do but what is each of their journey is a lot of times is how do they retain their honor while doing something that is marginal to the rest of the society. And it's yes. the honor in this passing on of this wisdom by sensei. It's like, that's like what's very Japanese to me about it. Yes, I um, I like this episode, like I was saying, because of that connection between generations. But I feel like one of the key takeaways for me was the older, the like former stripper basically teaches Marilyn to be proud of who she is. You know, it's like, there's no shame in what you're doing. Um, and just... It, in my opinion, it made Marilyn just own herself more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, I mean, I, I think it's just, it is interesting to me, because it's, I wonder what it's like seeing that episode with the um, eyes of a Japanese um, uh, person, but mm-hmm. um, it was certainly refreshing to to me to see it and be like, okay, cool, like, so it's a, so there is an honor in anything you do, which the reason I love Japan so much personally is because no matter what a cr- the craft is, no matter what the person does, it's done with honor and like approach it like a pr- the approach of I'm m- making art. Like even if it's like culinary, if it's um, in- anything is just treated with such honor and um, like appreciation for the form that uh, it was interesting to see it's being done here. Like when we talk about something that's maybe people, you know, frown upon us stripping. Yeah. Yeah. Important to note. I don't know if uh, I had to look this up, but it's based off a manga series. So it must've been pretty popular as a manga series. And I, I wonder how many of these stories are directly taken from the manga. And I'm sure that could have gone as weird as it wanted to. <laughs> yeah. I, um, 
I remember that, and I think I had, we had stumbled upon a comic store, and I was like, I wonder, like, shoot my shot, is it here? And it was not, oh. but I would be very curious mm. to see to see that one time in person. Yeah, I want to look it up. Maybe it's on Comixology or something. It's like Netflix for comics. Mm. Not a sponsor, mm. but they could be. They should be. And they give everybody a sense mm. of, like, the... Um, <laughs> The recipes, or not recipes, but the cooking instruction. Like this episode, uh, they have the characters talking about just if it's a saltwater fish, grill it. Skin first. Mm -hmm. I could have that wrong. And if it's a freshwater fish, uh, grill it. Flesh first. Uh, And that's like the level of cooking advice it'll give you per episode. It's not going to tell you what else to do to cook a mackerel. No, it's not like a cooking show, a cooking show. But I think that's also, there's some metaphor that I was afraid to dissect in it about, you know, obviously women treated as, you know, fish. And I I didn't want to go too deep into that. But there was definitely (laughs) food and um, lust, like treated sort of on the same, you know, on the same... um, like some 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 kind of sort of the same the same place and um i i don't know i i thought i thought it was interesting and even like just watching that first episode i felt wow this i feel like i am in japan like back in japan because there are tiny places like that where you just go and get in my case some ramen and it's just like a tiny little place and Mm -hmm. it's all made out of wood and it's just like one dude who runs it and he is master and you know people treat him with respect and it's it is it is it is a different it is a different feeling from going to a a diner you might have outside of japan yeah i'm gonna go to denny's and call the cook master (laughs) cool well should we move on to the next episode and why don't we look at the second episode you told us to watch leah was season two episode three steamed clams what is that premise? Yeah, so steam clams um, does not involve shippers, but <laughs> it does involve <laughs> another intergenerational relationship between a mother and her son. And um, this the episode opens up basically with a mom at the diner, and she's drunk, and she's getting drunk. And the master has a rule where it's like something like two or three bottles max, and she's basically surpassing it, and this is a habitual thing. So the master knows to call her adult son, um, who is, you know, single, basically um, feels very resentful of his mom and that she and that's why he always felt like he had to take care of her because she was a drunkard. And because of that, you know, he wasn't really able to fully develop or, you know, live his own life. Um, so, yeah, that's the dynamic we see. And then later lots on in the episode, lots of hurtful words are being used especially him at her (laughs) yes so like the first episode was this you know very um almost sweet this sweet um mentorship of sorts between Mm -hmm. the two strippers this episode now is like yeah it's like resentful um anger like you said bickering um from a son to his mother and vice versa the mom basically being like you know you're not doing enough, you've never been enough, even a disappointment, that sort of deal. But then something happens later on where, and I'm like, is it okay if I just talk about the episode? Like, I don't want to spoil it No, um, spoiler, I mean, we yeah, just what, spoil Whatever's everything. important for the discussion, too. So, I mean, yeah. it all seems okay. important. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the mom ends up getting sick and, like, in the hospital, hospitalized and all that. And, um, you know, the son is talking to the master, you know, oh, you know, my mom's not really doing well, blah, blah, blah. But then because the son goes to the hospital, he ends up basically like dating one of the nurses, mm-hmm. which makes the mom super happy and gives her, I guess, renewed strength and energy. Sobers and so, her up somehow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so the mom recovers and then, you know, so the mom's out of the hospital, the son is now um, boot up, whatever, is dating a nurse. So yay, everyone's happy. Um, the son runs his own martial arts studio and um the next scene is like all the kids are at the restaurant they're like where's sensei where's sensei he never shows up so they're like oh no something must have happened um and yeah so he gets in a pretty serious car accident which is why he never made it to take Mm -hmm. his um you know his students out or whatever and so that's like the action of the episode but i feel like the the heart and soul of this episode is 
about a mother-son relationship and how food actually saved the mother's life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this episode seemed to me the thinnest in terms of the plot develop, like story development, because everything was just happening randomly and not motivated. <laughs> like it was like, well, she just gets sick. Well, he gets in the car accident. The and car then- accident, maybe. I think her getting sick. I mean, she's an alcoholic. She's a terrible mm-hmm. alcoholic, so that mm-hmm. makes sense to me. But yeah, maybe the him getting in a car accident seems. Well, maybe. I guess she, you know she gets she gets sick that leads to him falling in love, and then him um yeah and then and then him getting hurt but not hurt enough to die but enough to rebuild the relationship with the mom who i guess quits cold, cold turkey yeah I, or she yeah, I she, think she still drinks but she has a control i think she of quits because mm-hmm. we don't see I, her drink anymore after she quits mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but yeah uh I like this episode because, again, it's like I feel that, um, and as limited and, you know, ignorant as this might be, it's just like, oh, it's interesting to see this family drama being presented in such a public manner, when in my mind I felt that, you know, Japanese culture was very um, private. And so Mm -hmm. to have this illustrated in a TV show is like, oh, that's interesting, you know? Um, the mother-son dynamic, but also when I said the mom's life was saved because of food, um, later on in the episode, as, of course, I think the son's eating, it comes out that the mom wanted to commit suicide. And the only reason she didn't was because she saw how happy her son was while eating this dish, the steamed clam dish, that she was like, you know, it just made me so happy to see you eating and enjoying your food that I decided not to kill myself that day. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's so it's like these heavy topics, heavy stuff. yeah, yeah, um, that are just being presented, like everyday conversation almost. Yeah, it is. It is a really heavy relationship that they have of this. Like, I get the feeling that she's definitely the one weighing hit down his life because she's the alcoholic, but he's really letting it. Mm-hmm. And there's something so doubly tragic about that. Uh, but yeah, it's like, I think it's the aesthetic of the show, too, being so bright and could easily be a children's show, the way it looks. That mm-hmm. it, the fact that it deals with the, like, it looks like, um, or it feels like, what's that movie, Shame, or that show, Shameless? Mm-hmm. Where, like, it's like the to- the subject matter of Shameless, but lit like a, a multi cam sitcom. <laughs> So it's it's very jarring, but it's very good uh, because of that. It, it definitely gives it a different feel and uh, makes you see these kind of dark storylines uh, in a different way as as more parables than just like uh, pulp and and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting because in each episode, the characters, like the things happen to the characters outside of the diner, but then they come back changed and. This and this is maybe the place where we witness their changed change, and it's it's sort of the anchor that allows for us to track that change through mm-hmm. the eyes maybe of the master or secondary um, sleazy characters or the poet, the oh, long-hearted yeah. poet. Can we talk about the poet? <laughs> um, that's funny you bring him up because yeah, he so basically you know it's an eight to ten seater diner. And there's this cast of regulars, and this one guy, he's the poet, he is quiet the entire episode, mm-hmm. except he will say, like, a two-line, um, just random, super esoteric thought out there that usually has to do with, like, a body of water. Mm-hmm. And it's like, at that moment, all eyes are on him, and I don't know if they're internalizing his lesson or his whatever, his... um his meaning but yeah he's just there in the corner oh, either eating nuts <laughs> cracking nuts yeah he doesn't have a lot of yeah. money like post poets tend to not have them uh in culture and portrayed <laughs> is they portrayed in culture but uh i wonder if he has an episode because he certainly deserves one it feels he like does. it yeah it he does, does but okay. it's later it's like in mm-hmm. the later seasons mm-hmm because you want to see that character developed. He's just been, you know, he's just been getting ready for it. <laughs> yeah. Great. Well, 
should we move to the third episode? Um, uh, oh, I will just say I love the karate aspect of the mm, episode. I of Be- since I do teach little kids uh, martial oh, arts, awesome. I was like, oh, I definitely see. I, I get this guy's <laughs> life. This guy actually lives a pretty cool life. I I really enjoyed when all the kids would get up and start screaming, like, thanks for the food, and it was very adorable. Mm-hmm. Very adorable. Oh, very adorable. And the third episode we watched was season four, episode eight, Sautéed Yam. And I'll just say, that I so I, this is the first episode I watched, and then I watched uh-huh. the stripper one. So two episodes in, I was like, this is a very horny <laughs> show. <laughs> And why is that? Leah, tell us what this episode is about. Yeah, so again, this episode is, um, there's a, you know, 20-some-year-old guy seemingly wanting to, I guess, be like a better man or whatever. And so he's at the diner, and this older gentleman um, walks in, and these younger guys recognize him. And they're like, oh my god, oh my god, you're this famous porn star. And you see this guy, and he just looks Mr. like, you know... Mr. Big. I think they call him Mr. Big, because yeah. O-P means big. <laughs> yes. So it's okay. almost like sex in the well, you, can, you can imagine. Yeah. yeah. So it's this, you know, this renowned porn star, and um, he's there. And then simultaneously, one of the other regulars brings in his his clients, be like, oh, this is the diner I was telling you about. So you have Mr. Big, or this renowned porn star... In come an older gentleman who own a company and his much younger wife. And the thing is, it's like they genuinely love each other. Despite the age difference, it's not one of those, um, you know, sugar daddy things. It's like there's a genuine love there. So the wife is very demure, very, um, you know, I'm here to support my husband. Sort of just, you know, very in the background. Husband's very doting. So they're eating. They order the same and the husband's like, you know, oh, this is good. But my wife's, my wife's like much better. Crazy disrespect so. for the chef. I was. This was the <laughs> most shocking to me out of all the twists and turns in this uh, three episodes. It was the disrespect to it the master. It was the crazy disrespect. And the master, he had to take it in. Like, he was a good actor. He had to be like, just he had to like chew on it for like a few moments. And then he was like, well, I, I, like, he, he it, was, it was crazy disrespect, guys. Which was to underline how much the old man loved his young wife. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so. That's that seemingly just like, oh, random people at the diner. And then it turns out that this woman, the businessman's wife, um, in her previous life, before she was married, she actually was in a porn with the renowned porn star. And she still held some, you know, reverence, um, some special spot in her heart for him. Mm-hmm. And yeah. She had written him a letter at the time that gets revealed. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it turns out Mr. Big still carries it around, um, even though he overall he's had many women, and all he can remember is their scent and not yes. their names or faces. <laughs> but he remembers this woman because because she gave him the letter, and so they try to hook up because mm-hmm. they like reconnect. They go to a hotel, and there's like very <laughs> I don't know yeah. if I want to say it's not passionate, but it's 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 very depressing, like like pre- prelude, prelude to lovemaking that gets interrupted by a vibrating phone that mm-hmm. is very is very much Mr. Big insists that she picks up her phone, and of course some bad news going on on the other line because that's how the show does it. Somebody yes. was in the accident or <laughs> yeah, so aneurysm. I th- there you go. Yeah, so basically, you know, they're in this hotel room about to you know, commit adultery or just basically, you know, she feels so, um, what's, I don't want to say passionate necessarily, but she feels like this Mr. Big has something he can give her and not just sex necessarily, but almost this, um, yeah, I guess, it, I guess it is passion. Yeah. Um, yeah. I and think then she, she definitely, f- she, she's a fangirl for sure. I think. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she answers the phone and of course her elderly husband, just had some sort of like either it was an accident or heart attack something very mm-hmm. sudden and tragic which you know he ends up passing yeah um, yeah but and the twist what about the twist let's do the twist yeah so, so um like i mentioned the wife so that it comes out 
in their dialogue that the wife basically was like, I'm going to, I know I'm marrying this older businessman and I'm his second wife and I'm so young and so inexperienced that I don't want to not know. Right. I don't want to, I don't want to be, she felt it was unfair basically that she hasn't gotten to be with other people. And so that's why she got into porn just so she could essentially, you know, have (laughs) another person she was with. A logical Um, plan. Certainly. And so, um, the Mr. Big was like, well, does your husband know, you know, does your husband know about your past life? And she's like, absolutely not. No way. Like, no way would he have taken me. No way would he have accepted me. No. Like, cause to him, I'm this perfect woman. Right. So after the husband's death, um, you know, she's going through all his belongings and she finds out he has a random storage unit that she didn't know of for mm-hmm. him. So, I don't know why, but for some reason, you know, Mr. Mr. Biggs with her and they go to the, the storage unit and they open it up. And literally, as she opens it up, all these porn videos fall out. Mm. So basically, her now deceased husband did know about her, her porn past. And he bought every single copy mm-hmm. of the DVD oh to keep her secret God. a secret. Yeah, a little creepy. But hey, he, I guess maybe in a way, saved her honor by doing this for her. But not, you know, um, arguing with her about it. Like, not letting her know that he is disappointed in her. And instead, living a whole happy life with her until the aneurysm took He's the man. He is certainly the man. He's a lovely guy. He's a lovely uh, company owner. (laughs) As he's he's presented. (laughs) I, um... I saw when that happened, when all the porn DVDs literally, like flew out of the storage unit i felt like it was very it was very sweet yeah uh, it's it's so very like i mean maybe creepy but sweet yeah it's weird how it can the show can make something so ludicrous (laughs) sweet you know like the idea that this guy bought all the, the his wife's porn dvds that's so crazy but it's more sweet than crazy thanks to what the show is set up the tone mm-hmm. definitely is suggestive of the show. It really wants you to feel the nostalgia. It wants you to feel deeply for the character. Like it doesn't give you the black and white. You were given you were given the way to feel about this, like in a very soap opera way in every single scene. Like the one way you should feel about this. Like, um, but but it does like to, to mess with your expectations, which is a lot to say for a show that is so slow moving, but it does do like the crazy twists and turns. Mm-hmm. So those yeah, are the just, three um, episodes. Yeah. Yeah. No. So when I think back on that wife, it's like, mm-hmm. like you're talking about these crazy twists and turns. Um, yeah. She definitely, I don't think she was playing like a role necessarily, but you know, she was a dutiful wife, very respectful, mm-hmm. very loved and all that. And then seeing how she was, just how she carried herself, how she looked like, the writers of the show or the creators it's like whoa i could never see her doing porn you know what i mean or at least Mm -hmm. as porn Mm -hmm. is not that i'm like an expert in porn Mm -hmm. but you know she seems very (laughs) gentle and not so in your face not she would not Mm -hmm. butterfly is what i'm saying no she's not a butterfly but she also had the one experience like it was like the crazy thing she did when she was young you know Mm-hmm. Like right before, I think she married. Like she was engaged to the older man, and she was a student, uh, Gakse at the time. And then she just does this one crazy thing because she, be- before she sets on the journey with this older man, life journey. It's yes. um yeah, it's it's uh, I don't know, you guys. I have I have mixed feelings about the show, but I want to see if before we start describing our own feelings about the show and rate the show is there anything we haven't covered leah is there anything we haven't talked about before we do our final yeah rate? so i guess um in retrospect the episodes i did recommend had to do a lot with um almost like taboo topics that mm-hmm. i wouldn't think would necessarily be so vocal in japanese culture like you know sex workers and porn um also not, I don't want to label it like disrespect between mother and son, but like family tensions, yeah. Yeah, um, and just like being an older woman being an alcoholic. I think it, it, yeah. is, it is very like a edgy topic, yeah. True, and like mental health mm-hmm. issues, like talking about just wanting, you know, to commit suicide, but mm-hmm. your son 
when and mind you this memory was when he was a child like the same age as his students right um being the reason why she didn't do that but this episode or this show some other of the main characters are a yakuza member (laughs) so you have like the yakuza Mm -hmm. gangster in there you have um an owner of an lgbtq friendly bar who himself is you know a gay man and very and much has, so has a relationship yeah. with the yakuza guy yeah like they're homies and it's it's interesting yeah and then another episode um talks about transgender um a transgender like mm. transition so i feel like this show for as slow and as um subtle as it is it does kind of touch upon a bunch of like you were talking about sasha like these marginalized identities or communities right that nowadays i feel are more mainstream but Mm -hmm. it does give them space to sort of just be who they are Mm -hmm. and i found that really really refreshing yeah i think we find them like you know transgender communities or maybe i mean i don't know about yakuza communities but uh (laughs) definitely the some communities we find them um more being in the open luckily and fortunately uh in our country america united states of america but in japan i I wonder how how much pressure is still on them to stay marginalized and i Mm -hmm. don't have an answer to that but i suspect it's more than here because of the certain hierarchy and um mm, yeah just like expectations from families and what you're supposed to you know how you're supposed to move um, on in life and stuff like that. But I suggest that we get to talk even a little more about the show as we each move on to the final section of this podcast where we rate the show individually against something else. Joe, would you explain to Leo what that means? <laughs> I will try. I, don't, I still haven't got a good gist of it. So you get to rate it on any scale you want. It doesn't even have to be 1 to 10. Uh, but uh, Or it doesn't even have to be 10 that you're doing. <laughs> I'm already blowing it. Uh, you could rate it on anything. Uh, so 0 to 10, and you're going to rate, um, let's say, Full House as a 9. The show Full House. And you rate this a 10. You could do that. Anything you want. You can take, um, I, I don't know, you can take cooking show, you know, and put it at three, a, a cooking show, and then rate this against that. So it's, you know, it's your playground, your sandbox to play in. And but, we'll but we'll start. go first, so it we'll makes sense. We'll go first, so you'll be more okay. clear what it is. Joe, do you have an idea? I do. I was thinking hard about what show or thing I would want to use on my rating scale for this and I I thought to myself you know something will come to mind through our discussion and it has I'm I'm gonna rate it upon another show that is uh, not made in the United States and deals with subversive topics very well Mm. and surprisingly and that is the Canadian show Degrassi Mm-hmm. So shout out to Degrassi, friends. Would of the you show. tell? Would you tell those people, including myself, who don't know about Degrassi? It's where Drake. Uh, Drake was a cast member of Degrassi, mm-hmm. the second generation. But it's about a, a high school, and it uh, just is. I think it started in the seventies and had generations. Mm-hmm. But uh, it just like shows the lives of these kids in the high schools. So it's kind of soap opera ish. Uh, but it gets into things, uh, pregnancies, abortions, uh, any anything under the sun like that. I yeah. love Degrassi. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give Degrassi a 10. Oh. Degrassi's a 10. Hi. So Midnight Diner, what is it? What is it? It's a 9. <gasps> oh. Midnight yeah, Diner yeah. was really good. I've been watching more of it. Uh, since, because I just really liked it. I love the vibe of the show. Uh, really glad to have got introduced to it, because uh, I want to watch all the episodes. Uh, there's, yeah, it's it's hard to compare it to Grassy truly, but um, yeah, I yeah. love the show. <laughs> it is Side really note, um, the high school they filmed Grassy at, because I, I don't know if you know this about me, Sasha, I'm actually, I was born in Toronto. And I don't think I, I knew that. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm an American citizen now, mm-hmm. but I was, you know, born in Canada mm-hmm. and spent my formative childhood years there and like 75% of my family still lives there or LA, right? Mm-hmm. But um, the high school, they filmed Degrassi, The New Generation, the one that Drake was in, is literally walking distance from my aunt's house. Oh, so, there you go. Yeah. Drake. Look at that connection. That's insane. That's insane. <laughs> Uh, I'm having trouble finding the show that I would compare it against. So instead, I'm going to do something completely unfair. I'm mm. completely unfair. And I'll take another Netflix anthology series that I'm completely obsessed with. Black Mirror. It's not fair because Black Mirror is an amazing show. To me, it's probably one of the best shows ever made. And it's about technology, you know, the interaction of technology and our society and personal relationships. And Black Mirror is like the best. And it's, you know, it's, it's a British show, which I watch with subtitles, but um, it is in English, so it's not completely fair and it has much higher production quality, in much higher. Black Mirror is a 10. Black Mirror is a 10 because each story is just super tight and I just love sci-fi. So there's, there's no sci-fi here. Um, what, before I give the rating, I'll just say that I, what I loved about this show, about Midnight Diner, was how immersive it was and how much it made me feel like I was in Japan. But it also, and it also made me feel, made me remember what it's like working in a place where strange people come with their worries and you get to like be an observer in the world that you don't really belong in, but like you serve that world, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was very interesting. However, that was not the culture in the part of Japan that I wanted to hang out with. Like my favorite character in all of those was the master. Like I was really interested in him. Like he was freaking awesome Mm -hmm. actor. I really loved, um, like I wanted to hang out with this guy. Like I wanted to be Mm -hmm. like in his world. And I know like his role was there just to kind of hold it together and anchor everybody together. But I was really into him. Other characters, like there was a lot of like very interesting, very interesting, just like, like almost welcomed misogyny going on, like, like forgiving misogyny, which the older characters a lot of times had, but also younger, like student kind of guys had it like, like, oh, we went to school with this girl. Look, she's Mm -hmm. like a webcam girl now or... There was, there was like, the stuff going on that I felt like was just, I, I don't know when the show was made, but it felt like in this day and age, it's, it's hard to be endeared by it. Well, to be offended. fair, they got put in their place. They got put in their they place. Were foil, they were the foils. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, they weren't mm-hmm. celebrated or played for comedy. Well, they there's were an older ba- guy. The bad guys. There's an older guy that is very obsessed with female form the, in the hat. The guy with the mm-hmm. Chu, his name is Chu, <laughs> and uh, he's we're supposed to be endeared by him. Like there's certain like elements, like the, the person who is like super cool about everything is the master, like he's the sh- master chef. But the other characters, they're like they're just too sleazy for me. And I'm mm-hmm. like, do you really want to spend time with these fuckers? I'm like, I don't think so. Like, but I was like really curious about like the little Japanese things and like just listening for the expressions that I just learned about people just saying things. So altogether, it brought me to a five, because it was yeah Ooh. it was uh, yeah because it was Perfect. a strong pull on one side where I was like I love Japan. On the other hand, it was I was rebelling against sporadic storytelling and a heavy-handed soap opera vibe. But more importantly, Leah Villanueva <laughs> Vere, what do you think? Oh man, so. When I first came across the show, loved it. Like, entered my life at a good time. I just felt really endeared. Um, I would say it was the overarching word to sum up my experience with Midnight Diner. And then revisiting it, I was like, you know, I don't know if I love it as much, yeah? I still love Ooh. it. Mm. I still love it. But not as much. But as much? Not a good on rewatching. Where's it going? <laughs> yeah. In thinking of what am I going to compare this to, um, again, we kind of stumble upon these shows. I don't even know how we came across this one, but you know the BBC's Sherlock mm-hmm, with um, mm-hmm. rendition with, what's his name, Benedict Cumberbatch? Mm-hmm. 
Um, Shout out. Yeah. Fan of the show. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Yeah. It's, um, we watched it and we got super into it, but their episodes are so long. They're an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. They're movies. <laughs> they're movies. Yeah. I think that's why and, I stopped watching that show from what I remember. <laughs> so I'm using that show to compare. And I, I feel like there's a slowness in both of the shows, but mm-hmm. they're, to me, they're both very, um, I don't want to say addicting, but it's like, I want to know, you know, it's like, I want to know where the story's mm-hmm. going, no matter how long it takes to get there. <laughs> Even um, though Midnight Diner is not too, too long. Like, it's, it's not 22 minutes. <laughs> right, right. It's, it's just slow moving mm-hmm. at times. It's mm-hmm. um, 30 slow minutes moving, yeah. versus an hour and a half. But I feel like there's a, there's a, almost like a trotting, I feel. It's a, it's right? a slow burn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Until it's, it's not. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So I would say Sherlock is like a very generous eight for me. Mm-hmm. Like that's a very generous eight, probably should be a seven, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which would make Midnight Diner, um, mm. I would give it a nine. Ooh. And I think it's because I'm, now it's funny. It's like, I didn't even live in their lives. I'm not mm-hmm. Japanese. I'm not a character there, but you know, Sasha, I think you were talking about the nostalgia that you can mm-hmm. feel in each episode. And me talking about this show, I'm like, I do feel a sense of nostalgia. And because of that, a sense of like, um, not obligation, but almost this, like, I want this show to thrive because I think this show does have heart. So, yeah. And those shots of food, man, just say they are amazing. Like, oh, yes, they, they are the best part of the show. I mean, when you just see those freaking steamy clams and you're like, mm-hmm. dude, like this is this looks like it's probably the best freaking tasting clams anyone's ever had. That dude knows how to cook, y'all. Yeah, yeah. I tried to make a rolled omelet. Uh, the oh, day yeah. After, and it didn't really? work out. But uh, <laughs> we'll try again. We you were know, obsessed you just, with the Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it probably takes four years just to learn how to make tamago with that dude, and then, then he'll let you know um, if you're allowed to touch the fish <laughs> and, the, and, and the shellfish. Well, what a cool, cool experience. Um, Leah Villanueva Vere, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Thank you, guys. I enjoyed myself. I am so happy we had this topic because now I have a TV show I can watch. That makes me so happy. That makes me so happy. Yeah, I'm really excited about this show. And I, you know, I might, I might dip my toes in it once more when I feel (laughs) nostalgic about Japan because this is my favorite place in the world. Uh, Leah, where is there anything you want to tell us? Where can people find you? Anything going on that people should be on the lookout for you? Oh, oh, I'm like here sounding like a episode of Midnight Diner. I'm like, I'm here just floating around like the poet. <laughs> but <laughs> if you do want to connect, um, I, I mostly do yoga or like encourage movement, exploration of any kind. Um, that sounds very random, but yeah, like yoga, rock climbing, It works dance. with the tone of this podcast, mm-hmm. today's podcast. Mm-hmm. All about that. And I also teach young kids. um, But my Instagram is probably my most active, I guess. Yeah, my most active social media. So my Instagram is rise and shine, all written out, um, number 757. Yeah, I would love to connect with people who are with Movement or Midnight Diner or both. (laughs) Reach out, connect. Joe, what's going on with you? Uh, check. Depending on when this comes out, my Kickstarter for my comic book will be out. Uh, so check that out. Just follow me on Twitter at Joe Cabello. You'll find a tweet about it, or you'll be able to um, get the comic book somehow. So check it out. And follow us on Shut Up I Love It One across all platforms, except probably LinkedIn. I don't think we're on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> Highly doubt it. Never. <laughs> thank you again, Leah, for coming on this podcast. Yes, thank you guys so much. Thank you. And thank you, Joe, for hosting with me. Thank you, Mr. Owl, for this track that just keeps on giving. Thank you, Elizabeth <laughs> Salute, for the artwork that keeps on giving. And thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>